Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. This is Fresh Art. I'm Kathy Bird. Our podcast documents creative voices from the center and fringe of art scenes around the world. You can listen anytime, anywhere to our stories of contemporary art and culture. Today, we introduce New York-based artist Allison Zuckerman. She makes bright, bold collages that mix paint with pixels. We meet during her 2018 exhibition at Miami's Rubel Family Collection. The paintings on view are the wild fruit of a 2017 summer residency. When collectors Mara and Don Rubel offered Zuckerman the time and space to expand her art making, she seized the moment to go larger than life. Prior to the residency, I was working in my apartment in New York, and due to space restrictions, I was making individual paintings that were about 30 by 40 inches, so pretty small. And what I would do was arrange the paintings in a grid. So I would create a single... So it's a, a kind of composition, but each would be a different window. I liken it to like a Best Buy wall of TV screens. And I wanted to have this effect of this like bombardment all at onceness with the imagery. But that was really because of a space restriction because I could not work big in my studio. And even though it, those pieces did have that effect, I still wanted more and I wanted to explore scale. So upon coming to the Rubel residency and seeing that space, I was like, okay, this is it. I have to really rise to the occasion because I couldn't make work that would be swallowed up by that room. It was a collaboration with the room and also a fight with the room and a challenge with the room that I needed to make work that would hold its own. So using that space as an inspiration, I was able to scale up. And everything is just in proportion to the walls. Sort of like a goldfish. Right, 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 right. Yeah, as big as its tank. So, yeah, and and also just with the content of the work, um, that I needed to make these large-scale female figures that were taking over, kind of like a Godzilla-like women. They needed to be that scale. These are Amazons. Yeah. These are big women. They are. They're bigger than we are. Yes. Quite by quite a bit, actually. Right. Maybe like three or four times their size. And their eyes. They're looking at us. Right. As much as we're gazing at them. Right. It's a little disconcerting. Yes. Good. (laughs) Um, I think they're intimidating. You know, they intimidate me, too. Sometimes I, I feel kind of small in front of them, just with like their grotesque qualities. They're vulnerable, yet they're proud. And they're not, they're just saying like, take it or leave it. It seems like you can't stop. I feel that you have a lot more of these in you. Is that true? Yeah, it feels like an obsession or an addiction. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's very consuming. I've always had an affinity for collage. I've always loved painting and drawing, but I've felt so much more excited by collage. I like the instantaneity of collage. I like when you lay something down on top of another form or picture, something immediately happens. I think that's really interesting. There's an automatic quality to it. So I was doing collages for a while. Um, I started doing collages actually in high school. I would take old children's books 
and paint the pages of those books and then add my collage to them. So I had the under layer of the page coming through, which provided interesting texture, like you could see words or pictures, but it would be somewhat obliterated. And then I would add these collage pieces on top. The collage pieces were photographs of my work. I felt that there was a limit to painting. You know, there was a limit to how good I could get at painting, but there was no limit with collage. The combinations were endless. Right. Well, you use humor to critique the omnipresence of male painters in the field and the subject matter that males choose to depict, the way males choose to depict women. You transform that. Right, right. Um, Yeah, I think humor is a very powerful tool where it, it, you know, there's a fine line between parody and satire, and I think the work is more about satire than parody. But humor is a way to address tough issues, serious matters, in a way that's not like beating you over the head with it, in a way that I think people can be more receptive to it. It's just, it's, it's just another vehicle to talk about tough things. Well, what painters inspire you? What painters are showing up in these works? I've used Rubens. Bellini, Caravaggio, Titian, Ang, so so many, but also the humor of contemporary artists, such as I think I think there is humor in maybe earlier Jeff Koons' work. Um, Rizzio Catalan to me is very humorous, and I like to think of like the artist as a kind of trickster or prankster, a foil to society, like holding up a kind of funhouse mirror, a way to see oneself and one's societal rules and have it reflected back in a way that's not too painful, but a way that we can see what's happening and address it. Let's describe one of the paintings. So this is creation in the earthly garden that we're looking at, and there's three figures on a picnic blanket situated in a Van Gogh painting as the background. The figures mainly come from Rubens. The figure on the left, her face comes from a pre-Raphaelite painter, Frederick Sandys. And then if you look into her eye, it's actually from a Picasso painting. The middle figure has the face coming from a Dora Maar painting of Picasso. Um, And the figure on the left, her face comes from a Rossetti painting. So there's so many mashups of art history. The eyes on the middle figure as well as his lips and the eyes on the right-handed figure, the eyes and the lips come from a painting that I've done. So I'll photograph my own work and reincorporate it into the paintings. Um, her, their feet also come from my paintings, as well as the large hand on the right. The torso and the breasts are from a past painting of mine. So I also appropriate and sample my own work. Cezanne's apples are in the painting. Um, on the right figure's thigh, and she's also holding an apple. And there's Lichtenstein, too. There's a Matisse flourish in the top left-hand corner and a Mickey Mouse hand coming in through the right. You know, it's really interesting when you have these, like, very modeled forms, like the Cezanne apples, compared with a very flat form, just like a perfect circle. And it originally started as a reference to Lichtenstein, but, you know, it's really just a circle that I that I made on the computer. This composition is grounded with a red and white check tablecloth. Right. Uh, reference to me 
to Déjeuner sur l'herbe, the Manet painting. Yes, that's, that's exactly where it comes from, this tradition of Arcadia, of no worries, just lunching casually in nature. Um, it's about leisure, and modernism to me is so much about leisure, how, how paintings change from being about like this elevated epic art history or religious iconography, transitioning to the everyday, transitioning to being about people and being about the actual time that the painters were painting in. Manet is a very important painter to me. I love this, and I'm thinking of the fact that these women are, you can't stop looking at them. They seem to be very aware of our presence as the viewer, but there's nothing really beautiful about them, and I think it's interesting as a, an emerging woman painter whether or not feminism plays a role in the way you depict women and that unreachable desire for perfection. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, oh, I'm going to exercise a lot and work on my abs, and then you get the abs looking good, but then, then you know, there's the thighs or the arms. Like, you can never get it, you know, when, they're, when you finally figure out one thing, another 10 issues crop up. There's, it's, it's very hard. I think um, there's so much in, in our media that we're inundated with these images of, like, perfection, and it's really not reachable, and... Women are, I think, women struggle with that. Um, So to me, you know, it's about, like, this self-criticality, too, that, like, oh, it's it's kind of, there's self-deprecation involved. And I'm thinking how, besides this very obvious way of addressing that social pressure that not just women are under men as well, Mm -hmm. to have the perfect body, the perfect face, to not age, to live forever. Right. What other ways do you think this work speaks to the moment? I think in the actual technique that I'm using. So because it's an interchange between the digital and painting, but using these methods at hand, being able to Google search a painting, and then just having that information at my fingertips. It's like today, if we want to look something up, we type it into our phones on Wikipedia and we know what it is immediately. But even like 10 years ago, if I wasn't using like my Encarta CD-ROM, I was going to the library and there was just so much more time involved. So I think like the instantaneity of all of this information that we can access really plays into the construction of these images. If I want to use a picture of hair, flowing hair, I will literally type those words into Google and and look for a high-res image of that and use it and drag and drop it because there's so much of our existence is through our phones and through our computers. So I think it's very much linked to that, that type of behavior that I participate in every day. Do you have any concern about the impact of such a tremendous amount of appropriation in your work? I think the work that I'm appropriating, it's more like a reference. It's more like citing, you know, in an essay, like quoting. So I'm not saying like, oh, this Lichtenstein vase is my own idea. It's very 
obvious that it's a Liechtenstein vase, and I would have no problem doing a diagram and saying where everything comes from. So it's more just like an amalgamation of this information that's that's out there. It's evidence of your research. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, it's really interesting to put like a Liechtenstein vase next to a 15th century still life and just see the ways that images have been depicted throughout human history and the way that we see, because that was reflective of Liechtenstein's time in the mid-20th century compared to how people were seeing their everyday 400 years ago. What I'm also hoping to do with the paintings is since I'm printing and painting and printing pictures of my own paintings, you can't tell what's paint and what's pixel. So I think that that plays into like social media. You can't tell what's been edited, what's real. And maybe it's a different kind of truth. You know, a social media is a, is a different world. It's a different reality. It's not necessarily like reflective of like a real experience. It's just its own thing. It's, it's like Epcot in Disney World. You're just entering into something completely fabricated. This is the Fresh Art Podcast. I'm Kathy Bird. Today, Alison Zuckerman explains what makes her distort conventions of female beauty and push art appropriation to a new high. In fall 2019, curator Tommy Katz Freeman introduces Zuckerman's pop surrealist paintings to Israel with a solo show at the Herzliya Museum of Art. New viewers will encounter the artist's absurd and exaggerated hybrids, women claiming their presence and power in the world. Visit our website to learn more about Alison Zuckerman and hear other episodes. Please take a few minutes to review Fresh Art International on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram at FreshArtINTL. The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation, Locust Projects, and the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, the International Association of Curators of Contemporary Art, and listeners like you make this project possible. On FreshArtInternational.com, sign up to receive our latest news and give a donation to support our stories. Stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.